Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello and welcome back to the New Books in Indian Religions podcast, a podcast channel here on the New Books Network. I'm your host, Dr. Raj Balkar, and more importantly, I have the pleasure of inviting back to the podcast, Dr. Dominic Haas, who is a postdoctoral um, research fellow at the Austrian Academy of Sciences. He also happens to have very recently interviewed yours truly, uh, myself and McComas Taylor, in a flip interview. And so it's only fair that I now return the favor and help him cover his brand new publication, uh, Gayatri, uh, a mantra and mother of the Vedas. Dominic, welcome back to the podcast. Hi, Roger. Thank you. Again, I'm really happy to uh, have a conversation with you again. Uh, likewise. So what do you prefer? Do you prefer being in this seat or the seat that I'm in? <laughs> we will see by the end of the interview, interview won't we? <laughs> I, su- I suppose. So this, of course, is uh, this first monograph is um, is a publication of your dissertation. Um, could you tell us a bit about how you got interested in this topic? What's the backstory? Uh, yeah, I'm happy to tell that, although um, it's a bit of a long story and perhaps not as coherent as one might wish it to be. I, I study Purana, so that's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, it all started essentially with the, my master's thesis, which dealt with a completely different text, the Kartopanishad. But was what was central in that text, I mean, at least in my eyes was central, is uh, the sun, which plays a very important role um, in in Vedic, the Vedic religion and Hinduism too, obviously. Um, and uh, I've always been fascinated with the sun. And after my master's thesis, when I when I began thinking about my my PhD project, um, I had this idea doing something that somehow uh, focuses on the sun, or looks in the sun, perhaps do some research on uh, on uh, sun cults or something like that. So that was my my initial um, idea. And then I happened to come across the Gajri Mantra, which is uh, famous, uh, which is known as a, well, as a sound mantra nowadays, and is very famous. And uh, back then, I also thought, well, this is simply a mantra that is concerned with the sun, and it looks very interesting. And so I'm going to make this uh, the topic of my uh, PhD project. So that was how the, the idea was born. And but then, well, things developed uh, differently, and so it's it's now not not a book about the sun itself at all, but rather about the mantra. But nevertheless, uh, yeah, that's how it how it all got started. Well, where the where the sun ends and the mantra begins, and vice versa, who knows? But either way, there's a there's a solar flare to your work, I suppose, pun intended. Also, it it, it dawns on me now as I'm speaking with you in real time uh, that. Um, also, there was a fascination, a, 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 a saura or solar fascination of my own. I was fascinated by the sun myths in the Markandeya Purana. 
this uh, Surya Mahatmya text. Really, really fascinating. And I think we have, I think there's so many gaps in our knowledge in terms of, you know, the historical worship of the sun. And I'm convinced there is this connection between Mark and Dea and, and sun worship that I can't quite see. But, you know, I suppose it leaves some more work for, for, <laughs> for myself and others to do. So this mantra is uh, uh, for those of, of you who come from an Indic background or, or your, your Indologists or, or, or Indophiles, uh, you may well be aware of the Gayatri, which is a very, very popular mantra. Um, it's also very, very ancient. Could you tell us a little bit about the context of where we find this mantra? Um, well, the many contexts. So, because it's been around for around for about uh, three millennia, so um, that it's been it's been included in many texts. But I can begin with the uh, with the ancient context, if you like, the first one we know of, and start absolutely there. start from the beginning that we know. Yeah, of. start from the beginning. <laughs> it's always best to do things chronologically. I think so. Uh, that's a good thing. Uh, yeah, well, the so, first, listen, the first, I, I the oldest. Every, sorry, I, every once in a while I do history, but yeah, go on. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, so the very the oldest texts to contain the the Gayatri mantra is the Rigveda, which, as far as we know of, uh, was composed in the second millennium BCE, and so in that uh, in that collection of hymns to various gods, we also find one. Um, composite hymn, Rukh 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 362, that is that addresses various deities, uh, and each deity um, is addressed with three verses, and one of them is Savitra. Savitra is literally the god Impala, so that's what his name means. Savitra is the Impala uh, from the root Su to Impala. So in the Rigveda we have. Uh, this hymn and these three verses addressing Savitra and uh, the what we now call Gayatri Mantra, but what didn't have the na- this name back then, uh, is the first the first verse uh, in this in this uh, triplet of of verses addressing Savitra. So that is uh, the oldest text we know of, which also means that the Gayatri Mantra itself uh, is about well. 3,000 years old, so the Sipla, um, a little more probably. Um, the context, well, well, this is where the story begins. So uh, if we just look at, at the hymn, the hymn containing the Gayatri Mantra, which is 3 Kvita 362, um, the, the object or the, the, the goal of this hymn is essentially uh, to praise Savitra, and uh, it was composed by poets, and those poets heard a certain wish, and that was to gain fame, to become famous by their work, um, just as many modern artists wish to become famous. Uh, 3,000 3, years ago, it was not much different. And so uh, they composed hymns to please the gods um, in order uh, to become famous. And that is probably also what the, how to say, the original meaning of the Gayatri Mantra uh, was so, supposed to convey um, is the is a wish. It was supposed to express a, a wish uh, for 
for fame is the Bhargazid and mentioned in the text. So yeah, in a nutshell, this is the this is the uh, the oldest context. Where else do we see this mantra? Oh, in many other texts. So after the Rigveda, obviously, is a Vedic text, and um, as we know, the Vedas are a are a huge corpus of texts, many texts actually. I mean, sometimes it's said that there are just that there are four Vedas, uh, but is just a classification um, for the for this entire corpus. So the Vedas are a collection, a corpus of many texts, and there are actually quite a few um, Vedic texts that also cite the the Gayatri Mantra, use it. Um, but most of the time, not in the same sense. And if, if taken out of context, or rather uh, the new context, and in most of the cases, in order to show that uh, in order to, um, well, accompany a certain ritual action. That is where we find it in the Vedas. Uh, so that's that's for that. But then after that, many other, there are many other Vedic and Sanskrit texts uh, to come. And we also find it in, the, in, in, in those texts. So, for example, um, in the ritual manuals, the Shrauta, the Shrauta Sutras or the Griha Sutras that describe how to um, perform certain Vedic rituals. Of course, they mention it in various contexts. Then we also find it in the epics. So the Mahabharata and uh, also the Ramayana, though they never actually use the, the text of the mantra. They just refer to it uh, by its name. So it, you can see that it had, it had, well, it acquired a name and it was known and also well known enough and to Sanskrit epics. And in later texts too, we find it in similar, in similar, in a, well, similar fashion. So ritual man, above all in ritual manuals and ritual texts uh, that say, well, you have to, to recite this mantra uh, at this or that point and sometimes also in in certain stories for instance in the Puranas or also in the epics which I mentioned um, uh, above all because the mantra not only stayed a mantra it also became a goddess and as such acquired the ability to, to act it became well uh, a living being, so to say, a deity, and could also play a role in 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 stories, and that's where where the mantra also appears in a deified deified form. So, in terms of um, Gayatri, uh, either the reference, I guess maybe twofold question: Where is the first time we see the mantra referred to as the Gayatri mantra? And uh, tell us a bit about this uh, this anthropomorphization or this personification. Tell us a bit about you know, uh, the mother of the Vedas? Uh, well, there was uh, two uh, complicated questions. When is the, when was the mantra called Gayatri for the first time? Um, so we nowadays all uh, tend to call it Gayatri. Gayatri is nowadays certainly the, the most, the most popular name of the, of the mantra, but it also has another name uh, that is Savitri, which is, well, it's just as good, so to say. So those are both uh, names of one and the same thing. I mean, they also refer to other things, but uh, they're also bo they're both proper names of one and the same mantra. 
And you could also uh, call the mantra Rigveda 36210 uh, so as to make it unambiguous. So those are the, the designations you could use for the for the mantra itself. Now, when uh, did it acquire uh, which which name? When when did it when when was it called Savitri or Gayatri? Um, despite the fact that Gayatri is the most popular name, the the mantra actually only got this name after like one thousand years. It's it, it um, after it came into existence, or longer actually. It's a complicated story. First, it was known as a Savitri. So actually, it's perhaps better to start with this designation first and then move on to uh, to Gayatri. So, sure. yeah. So let's begin with that. At first, uh, at the times of the, in Rig Vedic times, in Vedic times, in the early Vedic times, the mantra didn't have any name at all. So... Back then, if you wanted to uh, refer to the mantra, you simply began reciting it. Uh, you, you mentioned the very first words, that is Tatsavitur. And then uh, people who knew the mantra by heart would uh, know what you're speaking of. Um, so the mantra didn't have any name at all. And also it wasn't famous from the very beginning. And this is actually an important point also. It didn't have a name from the beginning, uh, which points to the fact that it wasn't uh, famous from day one, so to say. It uh, obtained that fame uh, throughout time. And also the name and fame, actually two names even, uh, that wasn't the case in the beginning. So when... When did it uh, well uh, begin? When did it set foot on this track? Uh, at some point, we observed that the the uh, designation Savitri came to be used uh, for various mantras. Actually, what does Savitri mean? Savitri is simply uh, a word that means related to Savitra, and actually anything that has something to do with this God, with Savitra. Uh, could be called Savitri or Savitra. So it mean, basically means uh, Savitra something. And a Savitri, a Savitri is that's the, the feminine form, uh, refers to a rich, to a verse uh, that mentions the god Savitra, a Savitra verse, uh, very simply. And uh, there are many, there are quite a few verses in the Vedas that mention the god Savitra and in which the god Savitra is important. And all of them can actually be called Savitris. And they were called Savitris. We find it in the text. So, uh, for instance, a text might say uh, there is a Savitri. In this, in this instance, you have to recite a Savitri. And that is the Savitri beginning with the words that Savitur or some uh, in the case of other other verses with other words. Um, but anyway, uh, there are many Savitris. And Savitri, at, an, at this early, early stage, was not yet the name of one mantra. It's just a designation for a class of mantras, all of them mentioning uh, Savitra. Now, what happened over time is that one of them became... Um, very famous and the, the best known Savitri of all, that is Rigveda 36210. And so at some point, uh, it was uh, Savitri, and then uh, experts and other, and, and at some point, even uh, laypersons would understand, hey, uh, I know which one you mean, just 
it's probably the most famous one you're referring to. Uh, it is the Savitri, so to say, with an article. If only Sanskrit used uh, articles, it does not, but uh, you can ex understand it or explain it that way. It is the Savitri. So that's the designation Savitri. Tell us, uh, tell us a bit about a very popular Savitri, a character that we see in the Mahabharata. Tell us a bit about the tale of Savitri. Yeah, the tale of Savitri um, is a tale about a princess. It's a very famous, a very famous story about a, uh, the daughter of a king who, however, does not does not manage to find a husband, or rather her father doesn't manage to find one for her. Uh, so she eventually um, tries to get this done on her own and chooses a husband called Satyavan, who, however, is doomed to die within the next year. Uh, obviously not the best choice, uh, but still she kind of, she is stubborn and she wants to have him. And, uh, well, her, her, her father gives in and shows, so she eventually marries him. And, uh, <clears throat> and moves to, to his hermitage and lives with him there in peace until, well, one year is over. And death comes to fetch her husband. And now the story is famous because Savitri said to her husband that she actually she uh, starts a conversation with the the um, with the the deity of death, the god of death, Yama, and manages uh, to save her her husband from from death and and and, and bring him back to life. And that is what she's famous for as a as a pativrata, as someone as a as a, a wife devoted to her husband. So that's the story of Savitri. But there uh, and in that story, the mantra, uh, the Savitri mantra, does not play that important a role. But there is a kind of prelude to it. Uh, so the the prehistory, the, the the story that leads to the story of Savitri at the very beginning. And that was the part of the the whole story I was interested in because there we find the mantra, uh, the Savitri mantra. So what happens there is um, the king, the, the Savitri's father, before Savitri was born, was a childless man and he always wanted to have a son. He, uh, he always wanted to have an heir. And this didn't work out for, for a long time. So he decided to uh, engage in a uh, religious lifestyle and um, he recited mantras and he offered offerings into, into the fire uh, every morning for 18 years uh, and well one could say well he was very um, very stubborn with this uh, and it, but eventually it worked and uh, because one day as he was reciting the Savitri mantra, this was the mantra he was reciting. It wasn't just uh, reciting random Vedic texts, but he was reciting the Savitri mantra daily. And as he was reciting it, all of a sudden, uh, a, a figure emerged from from the fire, and that uh, figure was the deity Savitri, the goddess Savitri. And as she appeared, he. Uh, well, he asked her a question. He he asked her, 
to um, get him sons because that was the reason he was he was doing all this uh, all this stuff. And uh, but unfortunately, and I find that this this story is uh, quite humorous actually. Unfortunately, it doesn't work because the goddess Savitri says no. Uh, you will just get one daughter. You won't get a hundred sons. You will just get one daughter. And you must not say anything to this. You cannot reply. <laughs> and, well, he has no other choice but to comply. And the only thing he says is, well, okay, but do it quickly then. And then the, the goddess vanishes. So uh, what he gets is one daughter. And he, he, uh, he gives the name Savitri to this daughter because of the mantra he had recited in order to, to well, to get her eventually so that's the story fascinating story so um let's let's unpack this a bit more clarify it for you know we 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 dull listeners um so the 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 goddess okay we have a goddess called uh, Savitri Gayatri this goddess who is a personification of or an anthropomorphization of uh, the mantra is it such that um why do you think this occurred you know why do we have why do we have a goddess who represents the mantra yeah so first of all um perhaps i should mention again that that savitri is a feminine form and this is because versus vedic versus uh rich that's the word in rigveda it's rich actually um is feminine so that's just a uh well, how to say an an aspect of the language? It's a grammatical, grammatical thing. Yes, it just happens to be to be feminine, and that why that's why the word Savitri is is feminine. So that that's something important to to bear in mind. Now, uh, when when did all of it? When did it start? When did this anthropom anthropomorphization start? So in the in the Savitri story, as I mentioned. Um, there is this king who recites the Savitri uh, for 18 years. And then there appears a goddess called Savitri. Um, now, if you only read that story, you could think, okay, those two things are one and the same because there is the mantra and then the mantra appeared in an anthropomorphic form. And that is one way to understand it, uh, to say, well, it's just the mantra manifesting as a goddess. But I think that actually there is a, a prehistory to it and a, and a quite, uh, quite old prehistory, one that goes even back to uh, Indo-European times. Um, looking at the Rigveda, we find that there is an occasion, that there is a, a deity called Surya, and we have this here, we have the sun again, Surya, but with a long R. Normally, the, the, the sun is always male um, in Vedic religion. But in this case, there is a female Surya. And not much is known about her, except that she is uh, the ideal bride, apparently. That's the role she's supposed to, pray, uh, to play. Um, she's mentioned in a famous wedding hymn that was presumably sung during weddings. And uh, she was so beautiful that she could choose her husband herself. So that's the, um, the her, her theme, so to say. So she is the, the, the bright solar bride. And that's Surya. 
And when we look at the Vedic texts, they're not, you know, particularly interested in her family and her ancestors or anything. But there are quite, there were a few places where they mention uh, that it might be Savitra, who could be her father. And for this reason, she she got the name Surya Savitri because Savitri also means uh, not something just the verse having to do having something to do with Savitra, but also descendant of Savitra. So she came, she she uh, she got the name Surya Savitri, this Surya, and um, as such came to be known as the the famous bride who was so beautiful that she could choose uh, choose her husband herself. And now we find that same motive in the Savitri story. Because in the Savitri story, uh, there is the princess Savitri, who is so beautiful that nobody dares uh, to to woo her, and so she actually has to find a husband herself. So we have uh, in the Vedic in the Vedic uh, religion in the Rig Veda, we find Surya, who is a beautiful bride, and uh, then we find her uh, Surya Savitri. And she has the same role. And in the in the epic Savitri story, we also find a Savitri who is so beautiful that she can, or in this case, actually has to uh, find a husband herself. So that's where where this idea that there is some there is a goddess in the whole in the involved somehow uh, comes from. It, I believe that's the the first origin of, of the anthropomorphization because there already was a goddess called Savitri who at first didn't have anything to do with the mantra of the same name um, but simply with 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 Savitra and then at some point well somebody had this idea hey this could be the same there is a Savitri mantra and there is this goddess Savitri this might be one and the same thing perhaps the mantra is a goddess so that's one of the uh, one of the most important of the of the Savitri, the deity Savitri, the idea of, of a goddess Savitri. Given um given that we're positioning Gayatri as you know mother of the Vedas or, or mother of learning, mother of Vedic learning at, at least, um, is there a connection between this deity or or this process and the goddess Saraswati? Yeah, yeah, well the a connection developed because first there wasn't one. Um so Saraswati too uh, is the product of a, of a development because Saraswati first was a river, that river then dried up, and now more or less all that remains of her is the is the goddess of learning, so to say. Although she she is still associated with rivers sometimes, but anyway, that's her her primary role, as we know. Saraswati is the goddess of arts and of music, and of of learning, um, and the. Gayatri Mantra, or Savitri, or Savitri Mantra, if you like, was the very first Vedic one has had to learn. So regardless of which Veda you, uh, which Veda you, you, you study, uh, there is, of course, you have to be one mantra you learn first. And in every case, that's this Rukveda 362.10, the Gayatri Mantra. So in this position, uh, due to this position, the mantra became associated with Vedic learning as such um, and became, well, like the ABC of, of so 
just say of of uh, learning in general, reading and writing, because of, of because it's, just, it's the very very first mantra, and this this um, role also rubbed off on the the goddess more or less. Um, who came to be called the mother of the Vedas because the origin she's the it's she or it is the very first mantra and she that's on the level of personification she became their mother the mother of the vedas and as such uh this goddess uh came to be associated with saraswati some texts say well she's the same they just think of one goddess and call her either saraswati or savitri or gayatri but there are also cases where they are distinct um there is for example uh, a story by by Barna in his Harsha Charita, where the two are uh, distinct goddesses, but they are friends. They uh, they have a, they develop a friendship, Saraswati and Savitri. So still, uh, they are kind of connected. So that's that's yeah, that's that's so much for for Saraswati. There seems to be a certain logic, perhaps, uh, in the initiatory process where. Uh... Uh, one learns the uh, one starts with a mantra that uh, confers or encapsulates luminous intellect or, or, or vigorous intellect. It's sort of uh, it, it, there's a certain logic to beginning with a mantra that is understood to fortify or brighten one's uh, very capacity to discern and to learn, and then learn everything else once you've got this this one on your side. Um, uh, is Gayatri worshipped today? Is the goddess Gayatri worshipped? Um, yes, as far as I know, but uh, she doesn't have that many temples. I just know of one um, in um, um, in in Ajmer, uh, where she has. There is the well, they they worship the the, the deity worship. There is actually Brahma, who has two wives. That's Gayatri and Sai. Um, uh, so there she has a temple. Uh, I presume that there are also other Gayatri temples. I've seen one or two uh, pictures and references, but that's the most the most famous one. Nevertheless, uh, she's a, she has a strong presence because uh, you can find numerous uh, pictures of her. Well, on the internet and and then on posters and so on and so forth, and she is being worshipped um, verbally. So. I mean, it, it does. It's. I, I guess it's one of the reasons for her not having that many temples is that she still is a mantra in some way, and you you can just recite it and think of, her, and that's how she is being worshipped. Uh, but that's a context that doesn't require uh, an effigy or something like that to to offer to because of her um, audible nature. Yeah. Mantra nature. Yeah, if I'm not mistaken, that's the uh, the idea with which you end uh, the monograph, which is a fascinating idea that um, you know, uh, mortification, you know, embodiment, uh, you know, um, you know, yeah. creating uh, you know, mortis, notwithstanding that um, that the goddess is worshipped through Vedic learning. It's a sort of a type of uh, a piety and engagement, and there's something very interesting about. Both, uh, you know, as you said, in this particular temple, you have Brahma and, you know, his 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 consorts or associates, Savitri and, and Saraswati. And there's something very interesting about Brahma too not having, I think, this one temple. I mean, there aren't. He's not particularly enshrined no. uh, as part of temple worship. And there's something 
there's sort of a fascinating consensus, uh, unconscious, unwitting consensus that, you know, there's something elusive, there's something subtle about this, this creative capacity and its personification about the creator, the creative impulse, creativity. Uh, you see more Murti Puja Saraswati, but still not nearly as much as say Lakshmi or Durga, et cetera, et cetera. And so it really is a, a, a cool idea. I mean, whether, whether we think of it as, as a river which has disappeared or is, you know, or whether we think of it as um, a subtle principle that we invoke through through mantra or, or ideation, you know, it's it seems to be a, a feature, not a bug, of the Indic world that we don't have um, we don't have typical murti puja of Brahma or or um, Gayatri. Yeah. What what about this process? Um, what was most remarkable, literally, to you? Worth remarking about this process? What did what surprised you? What did what stayed with you? What did you learn? You know, what was Tell us a bit about that that process for you, having completed this research. Oh, you mean the process of the end of conducting the research? Yeah, either the process, but more so, you know, your findings. You know, having completed yeah. the research and looked at the copious number of texts and, and and sort of crafted this 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 argument. What sort of sticks out to your mind? Did anything surprise you? Was anything sort of, you know, uh, remarkable in literal sense? Yeah, I mean, there are there are perhaps two um two things that for me personally were uh surprising or delightful or which from which i, I learned the most so one uh, the first the first eureka moment was when i i i well i think i found out i mean it's it that's my argument at least why the guy at became uh, important and why this mantra was picked and there's this is the the fourth chapter in in the book um because i i did a statistical analysis of you know which mantras were used were cited or reused the uh most often in the vedic texts in the in the older ones and or it, it turned out that among all of the savitris among all of the savitra verses the gayatri mantra which we know which we're talking about was the frequent most frequent ones so um, I kind of had this idea. Well, at some point, somebody had this. Somebody wanted to have a very a good first mantra for 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 Vedic study, something that that fits perfectly. And then they uh, they thought, well, then perhaps uh, a mantra in the that addresses Savitra because he is the impeller. He is the one who gets things going. So okay, well, it has to be a Savitra verse. And then they thought. Uh, Okay, which meter, which meter should this verse be set in? And then, uh, well, the Gayatri meter, it's the shortest, and it's also, it's associated with Brahmins, that's the best one. So those were the two criteria that was best known among all Vedic schools, and that happened to be Rigveda 362, uh, by, well, by chance, you could say. But you can, you can see this, uh, through a statistical analysis, and then when I did this, I was really happy to see. Oh yes, uh, it actually worked. It already was before it was famous. It was well known. You could put it that way. So that was the uh, <laughs> the nicest eureka moment, uh, if you if you like. And apart from that, I mean, like generally, um, one of the one of the insights I gained, if this is actually an insight, it sounds rather grim, but. 
uh, I have the feeling that texts don't mean anything at all because the variety of, of meanings that were ascribed to this mantra and the, the, the wide array of functions it was meant to fulfill, um, it's, just, it's just so much that you really get the feeling it, it, there, it, the texts themselves don't mean anything at all. They are just, well, matter you can do something with but uh if you look at three at the three thousand years of history of this one uh piece of ten words, then you wonder you know anything is possible with with words you can misinterpret or you know misinterpret anything or interpret it the right way use it for for good or for bad ends so uh well, I don't know if this is some 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 piece of wisdom, but this is uh really what what my insight was just how flexible uh texts can be you know yeah i would i would love to maybe engage that idea a little bit without getting too nerdy but of course texts and the interpretation of texts is something uh, quite intriguing to me in my own work um certainly you know to have a quote-unquote a tradition that's been alive for uh, 3,000 3,500 4,000 years you know, it's actually, it dawned on me, it took a while for me to realize that um, innovation actually is not the compromise of tradition. Innovation is the process whereby tradition pro is promulgated. It's innovation that allows tradition to, you know, the Roman Catholic Church, 2000 years, think of all the innovations required for it to exist. And yet we think of it as a conservative uh, uh, religious institution, perhaps. And so you know, without question, the, 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 the Gayatri has been uh, used, uh, purposed, repurposed, uh, refashioned in, in a variety of contexts. Like we see very various Puranic vignettes, for example, we'll see iterations. We'll see that, you know, Stephen Linkwist has just done a monograph on um, Yagyavalkya, and you'll see this, this you know, multi-millennial life of, of a saint who has a very different nature in, in Vedic versus Puranic contexts. Um but that 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 dynamism notwithstanding, one wonders if one doesn't see a, a a through line. If one one wonders if one doesn't see uh, some continuity in you know the symbology, the purpose, uh, the function, the nature, the portfolio of um, the literal translation of you know the the, the Rig Veda verse and sort of the, the, the symbology, the function, the purpose of uh, its later deifications. One wonder if it, if it is entirely bereft of, uh, of, of something to be transmitted across all that time. I mean, this, this yeah, is there is there is question, but, but I'd, I'd love to hear your thoughts. Yeah, there, there is. Well, you could say that there is such a thing. And um, so when I said that you could do anything with text and that, uh, that's my, my insight, so to say, uh, I wasn't implying that, you know, I don't know. Violence uh, has been has been done uh, to the to the text or anything like that. Um, there is some there is some sort of through line, or you can observe it, even though it may change color uh, over the centuries or millennia. But you could talk, I think, of a of a through line, and um, this begins with the deity Savitra, who is the impeller 
who is the well his role is at the beginning of 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 things of movements of processes uh he's at the very beginning he's the one as i said to get things going and this is simply this is a an energy if you like um that mm, exerts its influence onto various uh, uses of the mantra and onto various things uh, uh, associated with Savitri. So uh, the Savitri the Savitri was spoken in the morning. It was not only the first mantra to be recited or when one began studying the Vedic texts and memorizing them, but it was also supposed to be and still is supposed to be uh, recited by many as the very first mantra of the day. So this is the one uh, you start the day with. So that's sort of this this impelling energy uh, where it manifests in this ritual function, so to say. And then we have Savitra, who came? Who, be, who became the sun? Actually, Savitra simply became a name of the sun uh, in Sanskrit literature, and that is because I, I mean I believe that's my my theory at least that that is because uh, what they thought about was the morning sun. So when the sun rises in the morning, uh, well the day gets the day gets started. Well, it starts, and so the the rising sun is has an um, impelling an impelling force and that is why it was also called uh, Savitra so um, and you can kind of feel that um, if you look at the text that that you know those were the associations people had and that it what that is made sense to them to employ the Gayatri Mantra in certain contexts and uh, later with the the, uh, with the deification, uh, you can see that it again appears. It appears in Sandhya above all. That's where she is worshipped, the goddess. Um, and the Sandhya is a morning ritual, also evening ritual, but perhaps more importantly, morning ritual. And so it all stayed in the same corner, more or less. And so you, this is some. This is a bit. This is the 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 thread you can see from from Vedic times. Uh, up to well the middle ages where we have the goddess is this this idea of something being first or setting things in motion um and also the association with light and with the morning and so on and so forth hope this makes any sense i don't know <laughs> uh, well you know fortunately or unfortunately everything people tell me makes sense to me so it's good <laughs> <laughs> Um, no, I understand. I perfectly follow what what you're saying, and and also, I mean, many of these questions are are meant to generate. You know, they're generative. They're meant to you know start speaking and see where we end up, which is great. Um, what do you what do you hope folks would most take away from this work? What are what are sort of the key key impacts, key takeaways that that you intend with this work? Mm, on the most general level, I would say. I would say the the statement or the purpose of this of the of my book is is rather simple, and probably the same as as the purpose of many other similar books, and that's simply to show that things have a history. Um, they are not, they have not been around in one and the same form since time immemorial. There is nothing that, or well, maybe some things, but. Uh, there is nothing that is just natural about culture 
in that sense. So things can change, things will change. And uh, as you mentioned, innovation uh, is not the death of, of tradition. So there is something positive about it. You can see that something that is so important for um, Hindu culture um, and, and uh, for many people and for the personal identity of many people can change or it has a history and as such can be valued um, and without, with, without how to say, blindly believing in some some concocted theory uh, that the Gayatri Mantra has, I don't know, has always been um, uh, the, the an emblem of Hindu civilization or any such thing. So things so things have history. The Gayatri Mantra have, has a history, which means that uh, we mustn't simply destroy. Uh, we mustn't simply end tradition now, and say, "Well, it's all it is. It's all just a, a meaningless story anyway. It was just a story. Now we have history, which is real as opposed to story." But um, we can now take this into perspective too, and thus appreciate uh, its its value. Because I, for me, there is a value in knowing the history of something. It adds to its value. It doesn't. It doesn't take it away. It doesn't reveal sort of the 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 real story behind the Gayatri, um, but adds another story, and that is its history. And this is uh, what I what I find important on the most general level. I'd say. Fantastic. Uh, well, certainly, without there's no question that um, understanding a thing's history is very important. It can only shed light on the thing being examined or the process behind it. So it's utterly fascinating. Um, as you well know, in my own work, just as a corrective, I tend towards synchronic reading, just as I say, as a corrective, but without question, the diachronic dimension is crucial. The the The, the history of a thing, I mean, I think there are many, um, I'd say many in, many, many folks in general, uh, really struggle with all things historical as evidenced by by news cycles and various events and to understand or to think or to contemplate you know the causes and the forces that have shaped the present uh, i think that's crucial and it's it's also often the case in sort of more the the broader public that one takes for granted that what is now has always been uh, yeah precisely yeah but looking at history broadens the mind because it shows it could be different because it was different. So. And absolutely, and it's sort of you know part of part of my own journey. Um, not so much as a scholar, although I think I do a little bit of innovating or or alchemizing as a scholar. But I think beyond that, in in a continuing study setting, particularly founding an online school, sharing traditional parampara teachings, that's never been done before in the history of our lineage. And so coming to terms with whether or not that innovation is an aberration or an interruption or, uh, you know, a, a blemish, a dosha, or, or is this the innovation that's required to advance the parampara and to, to prepare it to continue for, you know, some, some decades or centuries beyond the online world. But it, it's, it's absolutely fascinating. Um, it was great speaking with you about your work. Uh, is there anything else about the project that you wanted to mention? Um, I will say one quick thing. Uh, one of the um, one of the advantages of this particular publication is that it is available to you open access, free of charge. 
And the link is in the podcast notes. So if you want to read about anything Dominic has just told us about, it's all yours. Uh, Dominic, was there anything else about the, the the process of the project that you hope we touch on? Well, not much. You mentioned one of the important aspects that you can just download uh, the PDF online uh, for free if you have internet access. And um, well, so I, I believe uh, that uh, everybody just can just check for themselves if they like it or not and then then read some of it and yeah that's that's i guess all that i i have to say about my work now fantastic so uh final uh final quip or silly question is having been interviewed by me i suppose it's your second interview but it's your first book interview having having been interviewed by me which do you prefer interviewing me or being interviewed by me <laughs> Well, I, I I always have the feeling that what I'm saying is I don't know not quite the right thing. Um, w- w- welcome so to academia. <laughs> welcome to being a scholar. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you can every other scholar. Appears I'm well trained, right? So I never really trust my I even don't even trust my own words. So I don't know. I didn't didn't really hit the spot. Well, right? well then you're really well trained when you you know you're so critical about what comes out of your own mouth. That's wonderful. Yeah. No, I think I mean there's pros and cons. I think. Uh, Obviously, there's a certain there's a certain anxiety and nervousness about being interviewed because one has to provide the responses and perhaps it's a certain, you know, it, perhaps it's a bit safer when you're the interviewer, perhaps. Uh, that's sort of my perception. But I, I do quite enjoy giving interviews as well. But I never enjoy, I never remember what I say during the interview. <laughs> Me neither. Process. I couldn't say what I talked about. No, actually, before the interview, I even, I even had to remember what I wrote in the book. <laughs> Oh, that's very, very common. No, that's that's very, very common. And you've very recently pumped yours out and had it published. And many a time, by the time, uh, even if I contact them when the book's first coming out, by the time we talk about it, it's been a year, a year and a half until they've, you know, been thinking or writing uh, a couple of years on the, yeah. on the topic. And so, so quite often, and I had that experience as well for my own books, I had to go back and remember what I said. Uh, in the book but anyhow um fantastic speaking with you thank you for reappearing on the podcast thank you raj it was a pleasure as always of course for those of you listening we've been speaking with dr dominic haas about a brand new open access publication called gayatri mantra and mother of the vedas available at the link below uh in free pdf form uh until next time uh keep listening uh keep reading uh stay safe and uh, keep contemplating Vedic learning and its relevance in modern times. Take care.